Hey, welcome everyone to the Game Dev Discussion Podcast. This week, I have a very special guest. We have Joby Carmaker, Principal Environment Artist at Respawn. Dude, thank you for taking the time to have a chat. Hey, and thanks for having me. Well, I mean, firstly, I mean, we haven't, uh, I haven't spoken to you properly really before, and uh, I think a big congratulations. I mean, it's, re- it's relatively recent, um, your promotion yeah, to Principal Environment Artist. Man, I mean, I, I, of the artists out there, like, you seem like one of the a lot of the principals I've started to meet over the course of my career now are a lot like you. The they're not necessarily specialists in one field, like they're very broad in their skill set. Like you're great at foliage, organic, materials, trim, environments, hard surface. Um I guess for you, it's just to kick this all off and sort of break the ice a little bit. Is that like a concerted effort? Did you really deliberately carve that sort of broad spectrum out was it just someone that came from studio to studio you kind of just adapted to the skill sets required like how did you get to this point on just having this really broad skill set um i think it was almost kind of like a gradual thing um early on in my career when i first started working on splinter cells definitely much more of a generalist and that was kind of fun um despite being just like a modeler specifically i was kind of doing textures doing like level art all that stuff um and then graduated as I was kind of going up in UB, I was kind of becoming more specialized. And that's how I ended up kind of doing foliage for a little bit. Um, and then I ended up doing like two, two projects in a row where I was just doing foliage. I was just very hyper-specialized, just doing one thing like full-time. Um, and then I kind of realized at that point, where I was like, after two projects, I was like, yeah, it's maybe a bit too much. <laughs> just being very specialized into one thing. So I was like, I kind of want to get back to kind of being, being more of a generalist. So like when I joined Respawn, I kind of made a point where I was like, like, oh, do you want to do more foliage? And I'm like, no, like I'm, I'm I think I had my fill. And um, when I, um, yeah, when I joined there, the Star Wars team, I was basically, yeah, it kind of it was the polar opposite where I was basically just given hard surface throughout the whole project. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, it's been nice to to kind of get back to kind of just being a generalist. And for me, that's like, yeah, it's it just kind of naturally happened that way with through the progression of my career, um, and just kind of realizing what I like, um. Just because, yeah, I like kind of worrying more about the big picture and kind of putting that all together and like working closely with design to to make areas feel good for design-wise, art-wise, uh, make it run good as well. Um, so, yeah, kind of natural progression in a way, not necessarily a concerted effort. Right. So on the footage side of things, speaking, at, you know, your, um, since it was two years, your like main thing, it's, I find it quite odd. I feel like it's the only field within the sort of bracket of environment art because environment art is very broad. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, broad set of skills, um, and there's a you know an abundance of hard surface people, of uh, props artists, of material artists. Foliage is always the one which is like in high. It's always in high demand. If you're like a competent foliage artist, you you normally pretty set for work. Now you did it for a couple of years. Like, what is it about foliage art? Do you think either? And I guess it's a two part question. Either scares artists yeah. off pursuing myself included i've yeah. always been intimidated by foliage <laughs> but it, it scares artists off and there's always you know if there's a always a need for them in terms of like there's not an abundance of, of foliage artists why do you think that is um i guess one it's like the one discipline that's like not really that like in terms of like how like photogrammetry has progressed and scans and all that it's like it's the one discipline I'd say that you can't really just like, oh, let's just scan a whole tree and put it in game, right? It's, it's, you have to really break it down to like its component parts and kind of build it from the ground up. Like you can kind of take like the individual leaves and the bark, but you still need to kind of put that all together. You can't just be like, oh, just capture a tree and 
throw it in, like a rock, let's say. Mm. Um, so probably that, and then also just like foliage in itself can, can be challenging within constraints of game engines to kind of make look good. There's definitely it varies so much from engine to engine, and it's like stuff for it to like look right and correct. Like generally, is like you, you need to have like all the bells and whistles to make it work. So it's like knowing how to work without those necessarily. Where like say for example, just as a quick example, it's like for SSS to work correctly, you need to assume that like oh shadow they're going to be working throughout for for everything, or everything has cast shadows on, and then sometimes engines can not necessarily afford that, right? Or like yeah, on the lot of games I've worked on, like grass, you just can't turn on cast shadows on it just because it's yeah way too expensive on the budget. So you need to kind of work around as far as like with your with your your texture maps there to kind of break PBRs in certain ways to like make it still look good, even though you yeah. don't have that that stuff. Um, so that can be tricky, and then also just performance-wise, like foliage is probably one of the most taxing ones. So it's like you have to be very careful. It's very easy to kind of go off the rails really quick yes. and just tank performance for a game, especially if it's like all natural. So I can see how it can be intimidating <laughs> to, to certain people. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a whole learning process as you kind of start diving into that just full time and, and kind of learning about all that. Like a lot of it, I've just honestly just learned on the job. Like. When I was at UB, like before tackling foliage and primal, um, yeah, I, I hadn't done it professionally before at all. Just kind of like just rough personal stuff. Um, so yeah, I'd learned a lot to just just on the job. Did, was it uh, during that time? Were you quite technical minded? Because that I, I agree. Like it's probably the discipline where like there's a huge tech hurdle. You like it's not like mm-hmm. a material where you just get a ball and slap a displacement on or prop where yeah. like nearly every asset is a. You're gonna have an albedo, you're gonna have a normal map, and you're gonna have an RMA texture. Um, it's it's the one which you, I guess, you don't get to do that as as much. Um, so yeah. were you technically minded during that time, like when you were picking it up? I was, yeah. I've always kind of been a little bit technically minded and kind of knowing how to worry about performance and memory and and kind of how to try, profile that. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely dove deeper into that when I got into foliage, where I was actually just like doing captures on console on like picks and razor and all that um just to like know the individual cost of stuff mm-hmm. um so i think foliage definitely kind of helped propel that even more and now i even kind of just use that just in, in general environment and personally i just get a lot of satisfaction out of that just because like knowing kind of like the more performance side of stuff like i know how to kind of get the best out of stuff and and push stuff just generally um so like say for foliage for example like yeah, like back then we we just kind of like profile like individual assets, right? And then you could kind of almost project like the cost like across the whole world, just because like oh, if an individual asset costs this much, you can kind of times that however however much, and you can kind of get an idea of like the millisecond timings of it. Yeah. Um, and then on Shadow of War, when when I was kind of like the only foliage guy and kind of doing a lot of the performance stuff as well, like that was interesting, just because like we had like five different open worlds, right? And then every every open world kind of had like different performance realities because like say one was like we had like a wilderness part and like a city part and then one was just fully wilderness so like how I approached a foliage per area varied a lot like say example um, in the city um, which is like mostly architecture and then there's like a few trees scattered here and there there I can really push the poly count of trees and and kind of go ham there uh-huh. um, but then like in the more wilderness areas I was realizing okay got to keep these like fairly cheap and kind of kind of keep them more lean so that can kind of push more of it and, and keep it still running good so yeah it varies a lot from from area to area have you uh have you put much thought or time into uh the 
the repercussions that's going to come from a UE5. I don't know if you saw the Wukong demo where they were like, oh, yeah. we'll just throw this into UE5. And I was like, I was looking at the assets because I'm interested in the foliage shadow stuff as well. Like, I kind of mm -hmm. had my head wrapped around um, like organic rocks, uh, hard surface, modular kits in UE5. Like, I get it in my head. I, I see how we're going to do that. And foliage, yeah. I was like, oh, I wonder how UE5 is going to affect foliage. And they were like, oh, like, you know, each pine needle was on that tree they showed. And I was kind of like, oh, okay. And then it's like real-time GI with Lumen. I'm like, okay, this could be really interesting for foliage. Um, have, you had, have you put much thought into like seeing what UE5 is doing and how that might affect uh, future pipelines? Uh, not too much yet. I'm kind of just waiting to see like the full release for that stuff. Uh -huh. Just because like, at least in like, the early launch stuff, like, like foliage was definitely not part of like the, the yeah. Nanite pipeline. So, but... From what I've read, they are looking into kind of integrating into that. So, like, mm. yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether, whether, yeah, this, I'm guessing that we'll probably not be using Alpha. It might have to just kind of be all modeled out, which will be interesting. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm just kind of waiting and seeing on that end. So not sure, not too sure how that's going to kind of affect stuff just yet. Um, but I'm definitely seeing some, like, interesting things. Like, I think on Twitter, one of the, uh, the coalition guys, actually, um, I think one of the TDs was doing, and this was back on UE4 too, before UE5 was out publicly. He was just doing some quick tests of like, oh, like a tree that was like, um, like alphaed out kind of more traditionally as we're doing now. And then a tree that was just fully modeled out, which was ended up being like, I don't know, 500,000 tries or something crazy. And this was with like ray tracing, like uh, the, the tree that was all modeled out was like way more cheaper as far as like yeah. the ray tracing goes. Um, so yeah, we'll be gonna be interesting to see how that that all plays out as uh, the the retracing stuff kind of becomes more mainstream it's been very interesting like for my own per like, my personal experiments it's like the way i've kind of just been approaching stuff now like cause i've been looking from like you know for example decals like they always use um uh use opacity like for them or pom decals yep. or anything like that and it's like no just model them and it's like it's almost like don't try and be clever. Just brute force everything. Like you don't need to use clever right. workflows to hide stuff. Like just make the thing you want to make. And it's <laughs> so hard not to think like that. Like in my mindset, yeah. I've always been like, oh, I need to like have a, a POM decal set and I'll have like floating things on top to make it look like it's 3D. And it's like, no, just model that. Like it's way cheaper than trying to have like yeah. these extra uh, render passes. And it's really hard to think like that. Like you just look at a whole <laughs> pipeline for a game. How many yeah. tricks we use to make content, and it's like, yeah, no, don't try to be smart. Yeah, no, I mean, it's gonna be interesting, just because, like, even from like the quick stuff I've tried out in Uni Five, it's like I've kind of tried to take Epic at their word in their videos, where they're like, oh, like we're basically not gonna need normal maps anymore, and just all geo. And mm -hmm. I was like, okay, so I was just trying that. I was like, all right, let's just throw like a five to ten million tri mesh in, into Uni Five and see how it handles it. And I was like. Well, the one kind of weird thing is that it takes like a while to like import, like yeah, several yeah. minutes to import a mesh where I'm like, is that really feasible? Like as far as like kind of having our own meshes, it's like, yeah, it seems like there's a threshold there right now where like maybe like one to three million that imports at a, a decent amount of time within like a couple seconds. But then past that, it starts getting kind of crazy. Um, so yeah, we'll be interested to see how they handle that going forward. Um, the, the coalition talk they said something about that they were saying like they they acknowledged that, like anything over i think they said anything, anything over 500k they're like it's starting to become a bit ridiculous for import times and they're like mm -hmm. instead of having like large meshes which are like high dry counts use lots of little meshes 
which mm. are lower dry counts. And I'm like, again, right, you, right. you're kind of thinking like, okay, so when we make modular sets, we think of like a floor tile two by two meters or like a wall tile two by two. And it's like, okay, like instead of doing that, we're making parts of a wall that we put together and probably yeah. a mega assembly or something like that. And so again, yeah. it's like, okay, stop thinking like tricks and all that. It's like, no, just make yeah. everything. Just parts. Yeah. It's very odd. It's <laughs> really weird. Yeah, it'll, be, it'll be interesting. Yeah, and, and also just like, it's going to be this weird dichotomy too, because like, like at the end of the day, a lot, not that many studios use like um, Unreal, like nah. in the grand scheme of things. Like oh, most studios have like their own engines and stuff like that. So like, are they going to implement that kind of stuff? Who knows? Um, so it might be just weird, this weird thing where like people are so used to like the UE5 workflow versus like a standard workflow, which might pro- we'll, we'll probably still live in parallel in some way yeah. or another. So yeah, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting generation as we're, as we're transitioning. It reminds me a little bit of some of the stories I heard. So I didn't work in the industry during this time, but the, the PlayStation mm-hmm. 2 to PlayStation 3 generation. Sorry, is it? Bit, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was a very odd transition for a lot of people. Like mm-hmm. tech is a, like, the biggest leap. I mean, from the PS3 to PS4, it was mainly like, okay, our tech is just more door, efficient. Yeah. Um, yeah. This, it wasn't like, oh, everything's just changed. And it feels like, from what I've heard from them stories, this feels like that, okay, this is the next year and a half, two years, are probably going to be very, not problematic, but just challenging to, like, navigate and figure out what's what. Because, like like I said, you're not, you're not going to throw two mil try assets into engine, unless there's, like, some mega hero asset, which, like, yeah. is on screen a bunch or something like that. I'm like, okay, maybe, but, like, yeah, I just don't see... Yeah. There's a lot of adapting to take place. Yeah, for me, like, I almost get... I'm I'm not so much excited about oh I can throw like a two million try asset in engine. It's like it's more like oh like we can push if if we keep up like a similar res maybe slightly higher of what we have now we can push so much more density as far yeah. as that and way more efficiently versus kind of just pumping like a two million try rock and <laughs> that's like entire scenes yeah. right now. Um, but yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair as well, density, like, you, we've seen how much density can make a difference. I mean, I don't know about you, that's what was the big um, the big visual hallmark for me for The Last of Us 2. Like, when you mm-hmm. first entered that forest, it felt like a forest. Like, it was yeah. just shrubbery and trees and foliage. It's so thick. And you're like, yes, that's, that felt like a forest. That's the, when I walk through forest, that's what I see. And yeah. then it's like... And it's a hilarious thing. That's on like current gen, so that's without all the trickery. Yeah. And I'm like, if we can get to that stage far easier, yeah. I'm like, it, it excites Yeah, me. for cheaper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I don't know, for I'm kind of spoiled working on Apex now. Like, um, I'm so used to 60 FPS at this point that like anytime I go back to a game that's like 30, I'm like, oh, this feels kind of like walking like sludge through sludge. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's like, I'm. Um, Kind of excited about like yeah, hopefully, kind of sixty FPS kind of becomes more of a standard for kind of games going forward or mm-hmm. having that option without like too much of a visual hit, you know? Because um, yeah, games just feel like so much more responsive, so much more like just smoother in sixty in my mind. But I know it varies for a lot of people. So actually, speaking of Apex, I have a bit of a personal question about it. Like for you personally, as an as an artist, as a content creator for the, for the game, um, mm-hmm. have you found like? Is there much of a difference between working on like a kind of open live service game like this versus like so like Fallen Order, for example? That's like your sort of quote unquote traditional um, start, middle, end, ship the game is out there in the wilderness. Whereas Apex, like you're constantly creating content for, and it's like this evolving game. 
does it feel different for you as the content creator or does it feel just the same as like working on Fallen Order? Um, no, there's definitely a big difference and, and it's kind of more with the fact that like you're just kind of like perpetually going. So like say for Fallen Order, it's like you kind of start in pre-pro and then you kind of go through production and then you, you wrap up the game at the end and then after that you kind of have that breathing room to kind of do pre-production again and figure stuff out for the next next thing. Um, but like in, in Apex, it's just, it's just kind of like a perpetual production in a way. So mm-hmm. it's like you kind of like ship a new map and then you're like, okay, we have like a map update to kind of roll on to after or like a town takeover and stuff like that. So it's kind of like you don't get too much breathing room in between kind of like big tasks. Um, so yeah, it kind of just feels like a little bit like a treadmill at certain points in, in, on that end. Um, so on the pro of that, like you're, you're basically shipping like constantly and a lot. Yeah, like, yeah. When, when, when I joined... When I joined like the Apex team, like literally within like two months of joining, I was already shipping my first piece of content, which was like kind of crazy. Like yeah. <laughs> I ended up being able to post like my Apex stuff before my Star Wars stuff <laughs> on Night Station, which is funny. Um But but then yeah, it does eventually kind of like get get to be a grind. Um but stuff in Excel, like kind of fun work. And then like especially I think if you're just kind of getting starting starting out in the industry, it is nice to kind of get that shipping experience because yeah, yeah. Yeah, production at the end of the day is like very valuable. And I'm honestly like, I've mostly been a product kind of very production oriented artist throughout my career. Like I haven't, haven't had the chance to have like a, a long stretch of pre-production uh, just yet. Like um, the closest thing was fall in order, but then I kind of got into the tail end of that where we were just basically kind of wrapping up like our vertical slice in pre-production. So I mean, yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to, to doing that. I, I won't lie. I think pre-production is, uh, it's interesting. I'm very much, I enjoy pre-production. I like just experimenting and figuring things out and that, because, you know, I, I think you say it's a grind, but I think there are some people who are production artists and there are people who are pre-production artists. Yep. And for production artists, I bet it's fantastic. It's like, yeah, just, I'm, I'm making content all the time. And I know yep. pre-production is not for everyone. Like a lot of your work is scrapped. It's a whole different really. skill set. Yeah. Yeah, you, you have to be okay with this, you know, seeing a lot of your stuff not make into game or, you know, get mm-hmm. burned at a stake very early on because at the end of the day, it's trial and error. And it's like, yep. that's not for everybody. Like, some people really do not enjoy that experience. They just want to be making content. Like, come on, let's make a game. So, although yeah. you, you say it's like a, it, it made me feel like a treadmill sometimes, I think that's probably perfect for some yeah. people. There's probably some artists out there yeah. who are like, like, yeah, perfect, let's do that. Just create content constantly, spot on. Totally. Um, yeah. And like pre-production is like, yeah, just I personally like when uh, when I'll get to do that, like a full one, it's like I definitely know I'll have to kind of rewire my brain a little bit just because I'm so used to to production and just kind of like, all right, I'm doing something that's going to go in the game and like yeah. I'll have to kind of shift stuff and kind of, or maybe kind of just kind of be better about creating like internal goals for myself within pre-production to, to kind of hit. So, yeah, it'll be it'll be an interesting challenge when I when I get it's, to tackle that. It's that kind of it, that shift in mindset. I went straight from counter playing Godfall to shipping Godfall and then sh- shipping the expansion straight into a pre-production. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, that mindset shift of like, okay, you can breathe a little bit, but with that, you have to, you can breathe a little bit. It's like you have to be more, like, what's the word? You're not gonna have the final answer straight away. Like, it's not just making in. It's make yeah. evaluate. Yeah. Let's think about this on the course of like, because that's the hard. I think it's the hardest bit of pre-production is that you can't just think in the immediate. It's like will this work in two years yeah. across the whole production? And you have mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. account for every single like, and it's like, oh, okay, this one example doesn't work. Oh, okay, we have to like think about that solution. And yeah, uh, yeah it's definitely, 
it's definitely weird. Like the first, um, I I came here with Kurt Kupsa. He's a counter player. Then he went to uh, the initiative, and I came. I, I came along after. And I remember him saying, "He's like he when I, he was helping me ramp up. He was my ramp up guy." And it's like, okay, yeah. we have to make sure like we don't just throw Alex into like just task after task after task. Like he needs to get used to being in the pre-production because he's coming straight out of production. And it yeah. was I was I joined and I was like, right, what do you want me to do? And he's like, just explore this workflow for a bit. And I'm like, no, yeah. no, but like, what, 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 what do you want out of it? He's like, I don't want anything. I want you to just tell me what you think about a workflow. And I'm like, yeah. oh, this is weird. I, I don't yeah, like yeah. this. Kind of yeah. <laughs> Actually, as well, so something that I've seen you talk quite publicly about, not just you, but a lot, everyone I've seen on the Respawn team, um, mm. is how good your, I, I don't really know whether to call it company culture or like your team culture. Mm. You guys like are, well, essentially at this point, the kind of beacon of, this is how, how, what work-life balance looks like and this is how you manage a team. Mm. Um, because n- normally uh, you can get quite jaded when you read about the games industry. There's just negativity all the time, um, mm-hmm. crunch cultural stuff like that. And then there's you guys. It's like, hey, like we, our team manages this really, really well. It's really healthy. They're great. They're supportive. So I guess this is a. I want to hear a bit about what makes it so great, right? Because I, yeah. I don't know what you know i've been a very limited amount of studios most of it's been as a yeah. freelancer so like you kind of make your own schedule and i like, crutch myself to death for a little bit so what does how what does a healthy work-life balance look like how do you like how have you guys combated crunch and made made sure that your team doesn't burn themselves out because like i said this is a bit yeah. of a great like you are constantly working it's a bit of a mm-hmm. treadmill so you, it's not like you get that like two months off for pre-production not two months off but like that lap that lapse in um, intensity. So how have you guys managed that, like to make it you know, healthy and enjoyable and not crunch? Yeah. I mean, I, I think the big thing um, first is that like, I think leadership in general at, at the studio kind of needs to be kind of talking that way and not, not expecting crunch or kind of scheduling that in. So like just as, as a first step, it's, it is nice to kind of have like our top level leadership at the studio kind of like, take a stand and say like, okay, like we're not about crunch and we're not about kind of like working people to the bone as far as that. And just try to, as much as possible to have like a, a healthy schedule and healthy work-life balance. Um, And then from there, it's like, it's kind of down to the individual leads and directors and teams. Cause like, honestly, like it, it really varies per team, like how well they implement that as far as like um, people not crunching and whatnot. Um, like we're we're lucky on our on our environment team on the Apex side, just because like our our direct our environment art director and our leads are very very mindful about that, and so like it just kind of comes down to like it's constant work. It's not like um, it's not a thing where you're like okay, like we set the schedule like a year ago, and then like we'll stick to that and we'll be good, and then like along the way, so many things can happen, so many things can kind of derail, some things can take longer, some can be faster. You might, people might get pulled off to like some other stuff. So it's like it's kind of like a constant thing you need to be assessing, like in, as far as schedule and scope to kind of keep keep stuff um, sane. Um, so yeah, it's it's constant work. It can't. It's not something that you can kind of just like kind of set and forget, and it'll, it'll kind of it'll all work out in a year from now. Mm-hmm. Um, so like leads and so like yeah, kind of our leads, our directors, our principals on the team, like we're very very mindful about that, and it's like. Yeah, you you just have to kind of keep an eye on people, like cause especially with work from home stuff. It's like it's harder to kind of gauge where people are at as far yeah. as like progress with work and stuff like that. So it's like 
Yeah, like just kind of stuff like oh, making sure people are checking in at like sane times, not like at two a.m. or whatnot. Um, yeah, yeah. And checking with people and like seeing like oh, like is your are you worried about your schedule and like so like our our producer for example does a good job like every few weeks is checking in with people over Slack. It's like oh, like are you, how are you feeling about the schedule? Like do you need extra time? And we discuss that stuff. Um, and like ideally, like any any schedule you create should have that buffer, right? Like you should have buffer yeah. for your for vacation time that people might take. You need to have buffer just for buffer in general because of like last minute stuff that might pop up. Um, so yeah, I know I know our leads like use that pretty heavily to to kind of keep stuff sane schedule wise. Um, and then also it's like so there's 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 a lot that we try to do on the leadership end, but then also it's like on on the team level too. It's like you need to be like not afraid to speak up to your leads or to your things if like you're feeling kind of pressured or like your, your schedule is feeling like really bad and that you feel the need to crunch right so it's like it's kind of a, yeah teamwork in that way where like leads are trying to look out for people under them but people also on on the ground level need to be like kind of speaking up if like something is kind of feeling off and they're feeling that pressure so yeah it's huh? kind of big teamwork there how do you counter so there's a there's an aspect of crunch which i had um Bajon is an art director here in the UK and he made a very good point to me because I'm like and I was guilty of this and like I disagreed with him at first but like as he's explained the point to me I've um I'm now sitting on the fence on it which is yeah. you know, you've got good intent like crunch isn't always super insidious uh, someone from the higher up being yeah. like you need to put an extra five or six hours it sometimes is like absolutely but a lot of the crunch which I've seen and I've played a part in is that sort of good intention crunch where it's just like, I have nothing bad to do. I like doing this work. I enjoy doing this work. So I'm going to put an extra three, four, whatever, an hour a day that stays when it's super minimal. Yep. And yep. over the course of a project, like that may not seem bad in the short term, but then like over the course of a project, the producer is like, oh, here's all this work we've done and it took this much time. But there's like, what, say... To 100 hour over the course of a few months 100 hours of unequated time it took to make yeah. this project come together um so in that case it's like okay that's where it's super bad like we have no idea how much time is unaccounted for during this so yeah. how do you how do you counteract that so i call it good intention crunch like it's not yeah. anything insidious it's not someone trying to be malicious or trying to get a leg up on anybody it's just mm-hmm. i'd like to finish this task today or um, right. I just I'm at my PC and I want to work. Like I enjoy doing this. How do you counteract that sort of stuff? Because it is it is a part yeah. of it. Yeah, it's 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 a delicate balance because like I mean, at the end of the day, we're still like in a creative field and people take pride in their work and they kind of want to finish stuff nicely. Like if they're kind of nearing the end of stuff. Um, so there's always going to be a little bit worst case. Uh, like generally, like when I, when I'm nearing ends of tasks, sometimes I'm like, all right, well. I've kind of set like sometimes I'm like okay I set my own deadlines and kind of worked with my leads and on on that and stuff and like I'm like all right I don't want to ask for necessarily extra time on this and just kind of want to wrap up and kind of move on to the next thing so like maybe I might work like a couple hours extra or whatnot that week right. but it's very contained um, but then it's also it's like yeah it's that that kind of like on the leads too to kind of like um, yeah just be checking in with people yeah. and kind of knowing that that's happening as well. Because, like, at the end of the day, it's, like, I think it's important to protect ourselves from ourselves in a way. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, you know, like, artists' inclination would absolutely be, like, oh, I'll just kind of work extra, no, no biggie or whatnot. It's, like, that kind of happened the other day where, like, I was kind of nearing the end of one task. And then I was talking to my lead about it, and I was, like, it was definitely tight as far as timelines. And I was, like, uh, this is my last task, so 
I was just I just straight up told I was like, you know, I'm just gonna I'll just crunch it like this week and kind of kind of kind of work hard and, and get it all done. And then he was like, whoa, whoa, whoa back up. <laughs> We're not kind of factoring crunch into your schedule, so it was like, and then so he kind of, he kind of took 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 a step back there, and he was like, all right, let's look at your 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 schedule, break it all down, and then see who we can kind of help, kind of come uh, come help you out, and kind of keep your your schedule sane in in that end, and you're not uh-huh. have to like yourself to get it done, um, which is like really appreciated. It's like yeah, it's like my really just trying to <laughs> trying to protect yeah. me from myself in that instance, and like that's important to do, like kind of just along the whole way of production, not just at the beginning, not just at the end. It's yeah, it's a constant, it's a constant effort. You definitely, Can't just you know what, that's a great way of describing it, protecting yourself from yourself. Cause I, I mean, I know I'll be guilty of that last year. I, I was like trying to work two full-time jobs and it's like, I didn't need, there's no reason to do that. And it's like, but you kind of say, no, but I want to do this. Or like, ah, like when you're making personal projects on type of, this is what I'm really fighting right now. Is like, I don't know how it is for you. You're a lot further along in your career than I am. In a sense mm-hmm. of, um, I'm only just starting to get over the hump of feeling obliged to do personal projects. For right. pretty much my whole career up until like this year, I've been like, I need to do be doing personal stuff on the side. I can't just rely on my production work. And it's only yeah. been this year I've been like, I don't need to. Like when I was looking back for a step mm-hmm. back, I mean, last year I had a bit of a burnout. And then this year it's like, okay, do I actually need to do personal work? Not really. I thought I was like guilt tripping myself. I was like, but no, I, I don't mind. I enjoy doing this and it's my job and it's, so it's not so bad. And it's like, do you get that now? Or do you ever feel like, oh shit, I could be doing stuff for my personal time? Because I know for me, that was a huge yeah. thing up until this year. Yeah, no, for me, it was kind of like the opposite. For, for the longest time, I kind of didn't do personal work and I was kind of like mostly just kind of relying on, on my production work and the games I was working on. So I was uh-huh. just kind of giving my all at work and kind of making sure that was, that was all good portfolio wise. Um, and it's only kind of like recently in the last couple of years where I'm like, all right, like, no, I kind of, I kind of, kind of dive into like doing personal work and kind of doing the odd project here and there. And yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a thing of like, I try not to guilt myself about it if I'm like not working on something, but also always kind of like inevitably happens a little bit yeah uh, there's a project i started like probably a year year ago now and i'm just kind of been chipping away at it anytime i have some free time and that's like it varies a lot some weeks i'll be like oh i'll work on a couple couple weeks a couple days straight then i don't touch it for a couple months and then i (laughs) dive back in and like yeah jump on it but yeah i think it's like it, it varies per person like i think like over the years how i was kind of keeping up as far as kind of like new trends and stuff like that is that I would work on quick and dirty stuff that I wouldn't necessarily post and just kind of like do stuff at home. Like, uh, like, Oh, if I know a task is coming up at work, I'll just be like kind of doing tests at home to kind of prep for it. But I'm not necessarily posting any of that stuff. I'm just like, Oh, like I'm trying photogrammetry out or trying that stuff out. And that's kind of kept up over the years versus like actually publicly posting Uh uh, personal work. Um, But yeah, it's, yeah, no, we, we tend to guilt trip ourselves a lot. Yeah. (laughs) We do. We try to we treat ourselves. I it's is my uh my wife put came up with an interesting term for which is artists tend to treat themselves like martyrs that they have to <laughs> sacrifice themselves on a hill and like in order to yeah. this greater thing of like their career or their art. And it's like yeah, after last year and like now like this year, I'm like yeah, maybe I need to just reframe it a little bit. And I, like it's a two and a from right, like because there's some people yeah. who need you know maybe a kick up the ass, but like okay. You're not happy where you are right now, so you need to make progress forwards. So you probably need to be doing extras. If you're like happy yeah. in your job and like happy where you are, 
like okay maybe you don't need to kill yourself to to for the next project like maybe you can just take a fill of the gas a little bit it isn't so yeah, bad yeah yeah and if you kind of does more long-form projects as, as well too like pre-production like to look back to that thing is that like that's like a perfect time to kind of skill up and yes. try new stuff and like ideally that stuff is baked into to your work so yeah it's always nice um, how, what about from the like, working from home point of view? How have you found that? Like, how does that dovetail into it? Like, his work yeah, from home so, made it better, made it worse. How for you personally? Yeah, I was actually just gonna dive into that. Um, yeah, no, like uh, definitely the first year of work from home. It's, it's crazy that we're saying first year already. So the first year or so of work from home, or first several months, I was definitely kind of unhealthily working like i was definitely like at the point where since we were all locked down and no one could go out i was just like well if i put in like a couple hours extra it's like whatever like what else i'm gonna be doing right now um but then um coming into this year for 2021 i kind of definitely made like a conscious effort where i was like all right well i'm just gonna stick to like my eight hours but like kind of do them properly like not cut any corners as far as like long breaks or whatnot like if i do take a long break just Make sure to be making up that time later in the day. Um, and that's been good. Like, I, I've honestly, this this year has been pretty healthy in that way, where, like, yeah, I've just kind of, like, stuck to kind of my 40 hours a week. And, like, every, the odd month every now and then, maybe, like, there's there's a couple hours extra that creep in because, like, oh, I want to just improve something that, that I might have felt like I fucked up. And even though it's totally shippable, I, I still want to work on it a yeah. little bit. Um, but yeah, th- those have been pretty few and far between, like they've been kind of sprinkled throughout like every, every other month or so, or like towards the end of like a, a big task, but, um, I feel much healthier that way and kind of mm-hmm. it's been better for the, for the mental health to just not just be working all the time. Cause that's, that's one thing we're working on. It's like very easy to fall into that yes. mode where like you just have no separation between home and work. And it's just like, all right, well, <laughs> you have to, you have to make a conscious effort, like. Yeah, at this point, I'm like, I'm like, all right, I do my eight hours. I'm like, I close down my work PC, switch over to my personal one. Yeah. I need to. So it's like kind of having that that separation, just even a little bit helps. Um, or even just scheduling stuff in your own kind of calendar as well. Like That helps a lot. Just, That's what I have to do. Yeah. yeah, I started doing that. Like, just kind of like, all right, scheduling gym time at lunch, scheduling like when I'm clocking out at the end of the day, just kind of helps. Having that pop-up kind of just helps. Like, all right, okay, I need to kind of back away from work now. It's a habit, right? Like, because I, I was, a lot of people who are saying they're missing, like, the disconnect from work, and they're like, oh, yeah, that walk and went, you know, on the way home from work to, like, just sort of separate from work and home. Yeah. And I know for me, like, my habit was, like, said, last year I was doing two jobs. So it's like, my habit was literally <laughs> roll out of bed, sit at this desk until, like, from like eight o'clock in the morning until like, 11 o'clock at night. So when I was like, okay, yeah. I'm going to just do one job for a bit. It's like, all right, well, if it if it's if I don't like think about it and I don't like do it like I'm not conscious, I will literally just sit in this PC and either do personal stuff or something until like the time hits and then I'll work on it. So now I'm like, okay, yeah. like I'm gonna pick a series like me and so me and Charlotte are rewatching um Dragon Ball Super again. And we're like, okay, <laughs> like let's uh let's squeeze in like three episodes because my mornings are my like personal time to work the yeah. US time. So I'm like, all right, we'll squeeze in three episodes in the morning. Um and like lunch, like we'll we'll go swimming or something. And mm-hmm. she's actually she's because she started her own business as well. It's actually made it quite good because it's like I go on a walk. Like okay, I'm going to start work. I'll go on like a half hour walk to then come back to my desk and I'm like okay, yeah. like reset. And now she's starting to like align to my schedule. So it's like oh yeah, we'll chill out in the morning. 
And then, like, mm-hmm. when I go on my walk, she we normally walk the dog at the same time. And then it's like, okay, yeah. like, now she's starting her wax mount. Well, she's actually the other way around. She'll do, like, um, the physical side of her. She's, like, a wax mount business. So she'll do the physical side of that, go on a walk, mm-hmm. and then she'll do, like, admin on a on her laptop or something like that. And it's, like, mm-hmm. like creating them habits. So now, I, by habit now, I'm just, like, two o'clock rolls around, and I'm itching to, like, just get up and go for a walk because I've habituated it. And I think that's a lot for yeah. a lot of people, right? It's just like developing some habits to like help break up your day a little bit because, like I said, yeah. it's so easy to roll out of bed and sit at this PC for 13 hours. Like, it, it, it's a little bit too easy. Like, it's scary. Like, you just look at it, you yeah. just look at a clock and like, huh, six hours has gone. Where the fuck did that go? I, I, <laughs> I haven't done anything. Yeah, yeah. Like, my, my girlfriend's, her, her work setup is like in our bedroom. So it's like to the point where she's like, uh, like the bedroom is kind of like the office now. So she's like, any, any downtime, she's like, I just don't want to spend it in the bedroom. Just like yeah. rather be out there and like outside of like the work environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, yeah, I could, I could totally, I totally see that. It's, it's a tricky thing. Yeah. It's like, there's a lot of concerted effort on, on people's end to kind of, kind of help balance that because just to, to help you be healthier. It's, it's a weird concept. Every time I say this conversation comes up, it, I don't see, I don't see tons of uh, good discourse on it anyway. Like it's, it tends to be like very negative towards anyone who wants to work in the office. And I'm like, it's definitely two sides right. of the coin, right? Like, cause yeah. I get wanting to be in the office. I completely mm-hmm. understand that. But, and if you'd asked me last year, I'd be a hundred percent on the be in the office side of things. But now I'm like, Okay, like develop yeah. some habits and be a bit have a bit of self discipline. This isn't so bad, but it, it's mm-hmm. very it's a very dividing topic. It's like either you're all in on one side or all in on the other. It's very weird. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know. Like I, I personally think like it's probably going to be somewhere in between. It's it's not going to be all one or the other kind of going forward. Like I feel like it'll probably just be like a very a very hybrid method kind of going forward because like. There d- seems like more and more companies are su- supporting full time remote. So like, yeah, I don't think that stuff's gonna go away. So like, even even once we kind of go back to the offices, right? It's gonna it's gonna be like a hybrid method, whether we like it or not. I think just because they're like, there's gonna be some people on your team that are full time remote. That so you'll be on Zoom probably in the office anyways. Like yeah, kind of with all those people. So it's like, yeah, I think some of that stuff is kind of like here to stay. Um, but yeah, I totally I totally get both sides of it honestly because. I early like you kind of like early on in the pandemic. I was like, oh no, I can't wait to go back to the office and kind of see people in person again and having that separation between work and life. But then like as stuff has kind of slightly gone better with the pandemic, with the vaccines rolling out and stuff like that, like I've definitely found a better balance where I'm like, and you kind of find like some of the nice advantages of work from home and yeah. as far as like the the flexibility where it's like, oh okay, like I don't have to feel bad to just take a random appointment in the middle of the day for like a yeah. doctor or an appointment for 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 whatever. Uh, it's not like as huge of a, of a, of like a hindrance compared to when we were in the office where like, uh-huh. oh, I'd have to like drive a, a long way. Um, or just like, I don't know, like now it's like at the office, I used to like kind of go to lunch every day with like kind of people from work or whatnot. So now it's like, it's almost like it's kind of refocused to anyone that's kind of nearby me in the vicinity yeah. of where I live, like from work where it's like, that's kind of nice. We're like, oh, I'll just go grab lunch or grab dinner like after work or whatnot. And that's, that's kind of helped to kind of bounce things out versus when we were just kind of locked in at home and no one could see each other. And we we're just kind of like, all right, well, I'm working and I can see how <laughs> it's isolating. 
One, um, one unseen thing I think I could see coming up in the next year, though, is once we do return back to the office, so be- like, before Counterplay, I worked um, at Studio, which was like, it's two hours away from me. So it's yeah. like I was in the office three days a week and two days I work from home. And that's what a lot of people are saying. I want that. Yeah. I'll be honest, they were probably some of the most stressful times of my career just because of... Uh, oh, really? <laughs> it's like, at first, yeah. I thought it was great. And then it's like, mm-hmm. you just you don't have a routine. Like It's impossible to have a routine because it's like, okay, right. what day are you in this week? Even if you set like super hard, like, okay, like say um, Monday, Friday are always work from home days. It's like, well, yeah. I don't want that. I want to be working from home on a Wednesday. And it's like, okay, right. it's fine. And then you're having to work around like, um, when are you in the office? Oh, I'm in like Wednesday. Oh, I'm not in Wednesday. So let's have this conversation another time. And it's, right. I, yeah. I am a creature of habit. I am, I have <laughs> very, I rely very strongly on my routines. So during that time where it's like every week was a little bit different, it was probably the most, stress- I just had no routine. It was like, oh, ah, yeah. I just, I'd rather, I'd rather drive two hours extra. Like I'd rather be in five days a week or <laughs> fully remote. I, I found the hybrid thing when it was set in stone, you know, three days you're in, two days you're at home. But what you, when yeah. you said like about the appointment stuff, I think if there was an option to just be like, Hey, I just want to work from home today. Like it's not a normal thing. I just want to work from home today because I'm yeah. waiting for a parcel or something. I think that's a really good method because you kind of like, you have that flexibility, but I think yeah, the, yeah. Uh, like, Oh yeah, we're gonna have two days where you are just from home. I think we'll have a, on a, a mental impact, you know, like people are like, oh, work from home would be great. And then six months into the mm-hmm. pandemic, and it's like people's mental health was really deteriorating. Mm-hmm. I could see a little hidden cost to this hybrid system where it's like, okay, oh. like your mental health is probably going to take a hit just because you have no habits, no routine, because it's constantly changing. Mm-hmm. That's an, yeah, and, yeah. And I'm sure there's a way to manage that to make it good. But that's just something I remember mm-hmm. from when I did it, and I was like, "Geez, it was rough. I really didn't like it." Mm-hmm. And so, even even with like a set, like say, three days that are the same for everybody, and two days where everyone's work from home, like you you still have a hard, you still had a hard time establishing a routine with that. Um, that was like the same. It was good. The issue was is that it's getting everybody like, and I was you got to bear in mind as well. I was a tiny, sh- so maybe in a big studio it's far easier to mandate. But we was a very small studio. Yeah. Um, I think there's like right. 25, 30 people. So it's kind of like, yeah. oh, I want to work from home. I'd rather have like Monday, Friday. And that's what we will start proposing because they're like, oh, yeah, it's like long. It feels like a long weekend. No, it's not. Um, yeah. But then people are like, oh, no, it, I have like childcare reasons. So I'd rather like have Wednesday off. And then someone else would say, mm-hmm. oh, that's like really bad for traffic or like for some arbitrary reason. Mm-hmm. I'd rather have Tuesday. Yeah. So there's this like kind of we struggled to set something in stone because then there was lots of exceptions, right? Like, okay, like you're not in on Monday, you're in on Tuesday. And it just got very messy. Now in a big studio, I imagine it's far easier to mandate because you can't accommodate 300, 400 people. So maybe that's the trade-off. Yeah, maybe, maybe, but also it's like, yeah, I could totally see like if they just start making exceptions, how can that, that can kind of snowball where like someone here is like, you mean exception for that? Like, okay, I want to, like not well, it happened to us. It's literally like, yeah. you know, we're setting this down Monday, Friday. I uh, make a very, very, and people make good cases, right? Like, oh, I've got, um, my mother works, like, can like, take care of my kid on a Monday. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather have Tuesday. Yeah. And it's like, that's a pretty good reason. But then, like, yeah, yeah. apply it to everyone, and you're like, shit, this is just a mess already. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the, I guess, the one segment of people that I've seen, like, work from home has been like, amazing for is like i think pretty unanimously i don't know if you've seen this as well is that just like parents are just like 
like work from home like all the way just because it's like they get to spend more time with their wives, their kids, and like and their husbands. And yeah, I've generally the people I've seen that have been like very like kind of pro work from home have been like kind of families, um, which totally understandable. Generally, um, yes. I think the only time yeah. I wouldn't say that was during the it was when kids weren't at school. When you're they were, right. like, trying to juggle teaching the kids at home or like making sure they're doing their thing. Yeah. And there's a couple of guys who had the issue of like they struggled to do work. Like mm-hmm. when their kid is just next door, you don't yeah. have that professional environment to just like zone in and do your work. Um yeah. and there's a big complaint on and I, I mean I suffered from this a little bit as well. I don't have kids, I have mm-hmm. my wife and my dog, but it's like Yep. I ju- like it takes you like say for example it takes like half an hour to get into your flow state like really get into something and like, I'm yep. there I'm just starting to like get to grips and start getting a move on something and it's like a knock on the door hey could you just come quickly just give us a hand with this and it's like yeah okay like you go go help go sit back down and you got 20 minutes yep. to get like kind of get back to where you were at um, yep. and I know that's something I had and a lot of people had was like they struggled to be as efficient um now one counterpoint i heard to this and it's a very good point it was you're like yeah okay you probably lost a bit of efficiency but like is it that important to be on it all the time and yeah i was like at first i was like yeah of course it is like, that's my job and then they're like well yeah like at the cost yeah, of oh like, keeping God, your yeah. life happy i'm like yeah okay yeah fair point yeah 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 and i mean even even in the office right like we have eight hour days in the office but like realistically between meetings and just random breaks throughout the day it's like there's maybe actually yeah. only six hours that are yeah. like productive so i think it's really just the same at home where like yeah you just have like breaks you have like take care of kids or take care of like the dog or whatnot um, yeah yeah and that was recently because like we the girlfriend and i got adopted a dog and like oh yeah just kind of like the last month has been <laughs> kind of hectic dealing with all that and yeah. adjusting our routines to that so yeah yeah. What what dog? Uh it's a pug terrier mix. So it's just oh. a little guy. Yeah. Oh, I'm jealous. We yeah, we've got <laughs> well, we've got a we've got a Labrador. Uh wow. the, the hilarious thing though is like I so on teams, like I can't see my thing. And the amount of times yeah. I could see like a bunch of people making faces at teams and I'm like, the fuck what's going on here? And then like <laughs> I'll look behind my dog will come and sit like right here and I'm like it scares the shit out of me. Because I, I, I can't hear him. I've got these on. And yeah, everyone yeah. I see teams talking about it. And I'm like, holy fuck, that's a dog <laughs> it always sneaks up on me. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. We have, we have this one guy on our team. Like, um, he just has, like, these really heavy, like, noise-canceling headphones. But then he has, like, quite a bit of, like, animals at his place. And, like, sometimes, like, a train passing by in, in the background. <laughs> it's, like, all these noises that we're all hearing, but he's not. <laughs> it's just kind of like a running gag at this point where it's like, oh, shit. All this background noise. <laughs> no, I want to. So I want to. I want to completely railroad conversation. I wanna, there's something I yeah. had want to talk to you about, which is mm-hmm. mentoring. Um, yeah. So you're doing a lot of interesting stuff right now. Obviously, you're one of the OG mentorship coalition uh, mentors, and you're also doing your mentorships with Skilltree. Um, congratulations on again like that. That's a new thing recently. Yeah. Um, so. I think it's something to be quite useful. I tried to do this a while ago with a recruiter and I want to do this with um, mentees. It's kind of talking about what to prepare people for being a good mentee, if that makes sense. Because I know for me, a lot of the time, I'm sometimes I'll give people refunds um, and be like, hey, you need to like 
there's no point in asking me to teach you, for example, substance designer. Like, here's a bunch of free tutorials you can go watch. There's no yeah. point. I don't want to say wasting your money because that's not fair, but like, yeah. you you could be smarter with your money to get the most out of this mentorship because if you kind of get the basics down, this mentorship when you do take it will be far better. So yeah. you've got a lot, got a lot more experience mentoring than me. But what are some things that can help people be good mentees? Like. Um, and your experience uh, through both Skilltree and Mentor Coalition, like what little things have you noticed where you've had to like prepare people or tell them to like maybe go take ten and like you know really think about this? Just so anyone yeah. looking to do mentorships going forward, they're like you know they get the most out of it because it is a it's a a large amount of money, it's a big investment, and yeah. you want to get the most out of it. So, what sort of advice would you have to people who are considering doing mentorships to make sure they're like you know this is the right time to do one and they're the best mentee they could possibly be? Yeah. Um, I guess, yeah, the big thing, like you, you mentioned already, like, I think just having like a, a base of, in whatever you want to kind of be learning, whether it's kind of like more UE4 stuff or modeling stuff or texturing stuff, just having a base in that will, will help a lot just because like, like the, a lot of the questions you can ask doesn't necessarily need to be basic stuff. It's just like kind of like more the fringe stuff that like, oh, like how would you tackle this? Just because there's like tons of different ways to, t- to tackle specific issues. Um, like that helps a ton. Um, just so, yeah, you're not just asking kind of like more basic questions that you could probably just find in a video on YouTube somewhere or some tutorial. Um, and I guess the big thing as well is that like a a lot of mentees kind of tend to, to dream big as far as like their scenes or what they want to do, like just specifically in environments. Um, so a lot of the times, like my, my first call with mentees, a lot of the times it's just like, all right, well, they want to they wanna do this scene. And then we're like, all right, well, we need to kind of like bring in the camera and like kind of like focus on this thing. And like, even this is what will be kind of challenging to do within a month. Um, and that, that's another thing where like, um, like I, I kind of tell people up front is that generally like everyone was like, all right, I want to I wanna kind of do the scene in the month, kind of do it all like really nice and polished and, and done. And I'm like, from the year and a half I've been doing it, I haven't had one mentee so far that's that's managed to kind of finish a scene in a month. It's like it's challenging because because you're sometimes you're kind of learning multiple new things or just kind of one new thing that you might ha- not have grappled with before. So like a lot of that will kind of slow you down. You're going to be retrying stuff, taking multiple passes at something to kind of really get it to where it needs to be. So yeah, I've yeah I've had people from like multiple time commitments where like they have like full like full time that week to kind of be working on that or have a job in the same time and and working on mentorship. So it's like. Yeah, don't don't go in like hoping that you'll you'll finish a scene in the first month. Like most people, like they take like an extra month or two after that, and they really they really kind of refine stuff and and even past the mentorship. Like generally, I'm kind of talking with people, and if they need any quick feedback, I'll help them out. Yeah. Um. So it's yeah, just a lot as much as as much preparation as you can, and that first call helps a ton. Most people have had is like. People have come in with on the first call with like already a pretty solid blockout or even just like first pass of their scene, and then that way we can kind of really break it down, assess the scope, and and kind of see where we can kind of help tweak it to kind of bring it to that next level. Um, so yeah, some some I mean, smattering of tips there. <laughs> it's it's funny though because like it, I always say this like half half this job is like not necessarily your artistic eye, but just know what you're look like to understand what you're looking at. I have the same, like, yeah. the right vocabulary for it, too. Like, cause we speak a very odd language, like, 3D artists. Like, 
if you try yeah. to describe, like if I if I show someone like a material ball, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is a procedural material using displacement, so there's no geometry in this image. <laughs> your average person's like yeah, way over your head, not understanding what you're saying. <laughs> so a lot of the time, like, and I've, it's a weird bit. If, um, I was asking for feedback or like you know reviews and all this sort of stuff on a mentorship, and they're kind of like. The most useful thing was understanding what, because one of the, co- I, I had the same concept come to me in three different mentees where like, I want to make this. It was a big, oh, wow. a Viking ice snowy like fortress with like okay. icicles and snow and weather effects. There's like um, rocks, mm-hmm. foliage. And I'm like, do you understand? I mean, this is a really hard scene. I would struggle with this because like ice, yeah. ice is always hard. Snow, yeah, it's that's like always hard. Yeah. Modularity with the rock stuff again, challenging because it's like three different pipelines for that foliage, yeah. materials, like. And they said that one of the most useful things was just understanding why why certain things are hard, why certain things, and just like when they look at a piece of concept art, what they're yeah. actually saying and what they're trying to commit themselves to, because that's a lot of the stuff is like, oh yeah, like and if you look at like a modular kit, like for example, like um. I don't know, a rock bridge. You, your average environment artist, like once they've had a, you know, some experience, they look at that and go, oh yeah, you do that with like some macro normals and then some detail normals and you know, some macro bl- and some grunge textures, uh, like ID maps, and I'll probably be able to do it. But yeah. They don't have that knowledge and understanding. So when I say, oh yeah, you're going to use some macro normals, some detail normals, we'll blend them together using grunge masks, they're like, I don't understand a word you just said. And it's like, oh, okay, we've got to go right back to basics here. Like, Okay, mm-hmm. this is a macro normal. This is a detail, and it's like that's that's half the battle. I feel like because I'm yeah. kind of part of me as well is leaning. I, I, this has been quite successful with a couple of my ugh, a couple of my current mentees is mm-hmm. not trying to commit to making final art. Like we're just going to learn yeah. a pipeline, and you're going to have you're going to have nothing to show for this, but you will mm-hmm. understand the pipeline, and you'll be able to make content going forwards. Because I, yeah. I, I, that is something I have found a few people like, and you've said yourself, like you know, they come in with this big concept. I want this full environment done, but they don't understand yeah. like any of the pipelines that go into that. And you're like, mm-hmm. it takes me at least a month and a half, two months to even get wrap my head around a pipeline, let alone execute on it. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, <laughs> that's that's a challenge in itself. Yeah, yeah, that's no, so that's an interesting way I approach it. Um, yeah, I kind of I kind of do it a little bit differently. Where like. Um, as far as like environments go, I try to kind of roughly mirror like uh, the passes we do, kind of like a production a little bit. Yeah. Um, kind of splitting it up into like the block out phase, first pass, second pass, third pass. Um, so I, yeah, I just kind of like block out just kind of like the rough, large, medium shapes and try to set, get, get a feel for the scale and just the overall scope of it. Uh, first pass, like just trying to. Trying to get them to to pass the squint test essentially, just getting like yeah. your first 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 pass materials in there and just rough lighting and just kind of like all right, if you're squinting and you can kind of see your scene, that's good. It's not necessarily pretty at that point. And then on the second pass, what I generally have them do, and this is like ideally like maybe the one bit of like near final art that they do is that like they just take a very small portion of the scene and kind of bring that to, to as close to final as they can, uh, just as a little vertical slice for themselves. Uh-huh. Um, so that's something I found myself doing a lot in production. Definitely do that a lot on Apex. Um, yeah, just because it's good to like kind of show to your leads and your directors where you're going with the rest of the, a bigger yeah. scene. And then even just for yourself as motivation, it's good to kind of always lean back on that and knowing like, all right, I have a piece of finished area here. And then I'm basically taking that and propagating to the rest. And yeah, 
then even as you're kind of going and propagating that stuff to the other areas, you can always kind of come back and, and double back and improve on your, your initial one. Um, and then, yeah, from there, it's like, yeah, just hopefully they have like a good grasp of that and they can kind of like carry over that same level of polish to the rest of the scene, like post mentorship. Um, but yeah. Do, do, do you find uh, it difficult to get them to the, the squint test thing, right? Cause a lot of that's down yeah. to just your balance of, let's say macro forms, micro forms, like, um, and like yeah. general composition. I know that sometimes even just like that is a, can be a challenge it's because it's yeah. like, that's years of experience of knowing what is and isn't right. So it's like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. like here's my, I think this is kind of my block out. I'm like, this is super noisy. Like what, like, okay. Like and you spend a lot of time, almost a third of the mentorship on just, okay, let's get the real high level. Like, like I said, the squid test. Let's like get yeah. that right. Because if we don't get this right, everything else is on shaky foundations. But I've, I mean, because also, like, I'm still learning myself. Like, so sometimes yeah. I'm like, okay, yeah, what would I do with this? Uh, and yeah. it's like, do you know what you don't want to do is like, oh, I and I, I have to fight quite hard to do this because I've not quite got the uh, what's the experience in it yet. Is not just saying, okay, start again. This you've you've done it wrong. It's kind of like, okay, like this is great. Let's the polite way of saying let's just push it a slightly different direction. It I'm still trying to <laughs> navigate that territory a little bit. Um, yeah yeah it's tricky because like i think people even early on they're just like oh like it's not pretty i want to make it pretty and it's like yeah. you know, i have like kind of stress was like no like first pass it's not gonna be pretty it's like it's really just like super basic stuff that just to kind of give you the idea the rough idea of the scene so it's like yeah i think people definitely struggle with that so it's a, kind of like a, a gradual process to to get them used to that um but uh yeah i think with work and People, people eventually kind of break through and it's 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 good and i think like the vertical slice thing was actually something i just started doing more recently with more recent mentees this year because i wasn't doing that last year and i think that that helps a lot just because like yeah you're kind of going from like the very high level like block out first pass which is like yeah just super high level you're not you're worrying about the scene as a whole and then kind of doing that vertical slice i think kind of scratches that itch of like all right i'm kind of doing more final stuff and kind of Kind of, kind of figuring out the pipeline in my head for for what I'm going to be doing for the rest of the scene, and that kind yeah. of helps a little bit to kind of balance that out. Because um, previously, I think maybe I was kind of going a bit too gradual in like the wide yeah. passes because you kind of you kind of lose sight of where you're going when you're kind of you're going so broad and and, and large passes. So, um, yeah, I think balancing that first pass with like the vertical slice like has helped a lot. Have Have you watched the Dead Space trailer for the remake? Recently. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, that is. I want to see that more from AAA because that is such a great look. I mean, they, they are like early pre-production, and just That's to be early, so yeah. public, I'm like, mm-hmm. for a upcoming artist, it's like, look, this is how bad your art's gonna look. And I'm not saying that it looked yeah. bad, but it looked, you know, it's it's yeah. pre-production. It's like this is yeah. where you're gonna be at for the majority. It's not gonna come together to the end. So yeah. I I just found that like. Outside of what it's going to do for the games community, I think it's good for the games community just to see behind the scenes a little bit and how long this takes. Yeah. For, yeah, for the artists, I'm like, this is great for like upcoming artists because it's just like, yeah, this is how long it takes to get to a game-quality-looking environment. It takes years and years of trial and error and get, yo. Know, I just, I loved it. I was like, I want to see that more from AAA. Just yeah, I, show I, behind I, the curtains. So, yeah. yeah, I was really happy to see them do that. Um it's yeah the we we need more of that because yeah games are such a like 
a black box sometimes, and it's like, does it really need to be like for for that yeah. big reveal? Like, I feel you can you can still kind of like show stuff along the way and still have the big reveal. Like, I mean, movies do it all the time, or like dates and movie titles are announced like years in advance, and they still have like the grand reveal as far as like the trailers and stuff like that. And I don't think that like knowing it's coming has necessarily taken away from it. So. Yeah. yeah, and you see, like Raising Kratos and the Last of Us, uh, I think it's called Grounded. Like them, doc- even them documentaries, like they show like the game. I mean, even for this game developers, you know, they show the game's broken. Like, in- I mean, it's a bit of a drama. They're like, oh, we could put up the deadline, so it's still broken. But you like, yeah. you see in the block out environment where they have like a finished character, but they're in this like big block out environment, and or you see like a block out and you or like the first pass, and it's like, oh yeah, we still need to do this, this, and this. But I'm like. Yeah. That's great, especially there was one shot I loved. It was uh, from the library in Last of Us One, mm-hmm. and in editor, your stuff tends not to look great. Like it hasn't yeah. got any of the lighting, post processing, or any of that sort of stuff, or in in at runtime stuff. And just yeah. seeing how ropey and one of the most beautiful environments can look when you're actually in the editor, it's like, oh yeah, this is how your work's gonna look majority of the time till you hit play. I think it's very yeah. good for. Um, Artist expectations, because I think that mindset of wanting to make everything pretty, I mean, that, that mm-hmm. kind of stays with us the whole time, but like, especially with younger artists, mm-hmm. I think they get to the industry, it's like, let's make everything look great straight away. And like, you got all the veterans sat there, like, yeah. this is going to look like crap <laughs> for at least another year. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And even that, that's an important thing that I, every now and then comes up in during mentorships as well, is that like, I kind of like hammer home that, like, yeah, not. Not every studio you're going to go to is going to be unreal, and like where you'll have like a a real time viewpoint where everything looks great and like final. Like a lot yeah. of studios, like yeah, like SMS, Naughty Dog, they're they're st- all their 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 editor is in Maya, and it's like yeah. it's not it's not going to be like what you see is what you get. Uh, you have to like compile the game and and compile the maps to see see stuff. Um, so yeah, it's yeah, you just can't go in expecting it's going to be like that for everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I think there's uh. I mean, I'll be honest, I've grown to, do, as much as I love Unreal, Unreal is amazing. It's, um, yeah. you know, it's nice having that stuff in real time. But then you go, like, and you have a little play with, like, some of the proprietary engines. So when you actually try and make a game in Unreal, from, like, counterplay days, I'm like, man, Unreal, it's a pain in the ass to work with. Like, it is a very bloated yes. engine. Um, yeah. When I speak to some devs and they're like, oh, yeah, like, our engine, we just do this, this, and it just works. And I'm like, how did you get it working? And they're, and they're like, well... We haven't got all of this Unreal tech to make sure it doesn't break every time we try and implement a new fle- feature. And I'm like, ah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think as I've started to like be in the industry a little bit longer now, I'm growing. <laughs> From a like, personal work point of view, love Unreal. It's amazing. To yeah. actually make a game, I, I, Unreal's hard. Yeah. It's really it's, hard. Yeah, you need a solid like engineering team and tools team to kind of kind of be building stuff on top of it. Like, yeah. yeah it's... There, there's a lot there that was not necessarily needed or are kind of some like 70, 80% finished. And you're like, yes, I have this answer like, oh, do we fix it or do we wait? And it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, dude, I, I say this, I literally every week I have said this, I think, but like we've got over an hour and I've took up a lot of your time already. Um, so we're going to, I think it's a good time to call it. It's dude. Yeah. I really appreciate taking the time. I know this is your day off. Um, so even doubly, <laughs> doubly appreciate it. Um, I think there's been a lot of interesting stuff on here because there's a lot of time we spend speaking about art and pipelines, and it's not very often we get to spend time talking about the, I say soft skills, but, you know, the day to day side of stuff that what allows us to be you know healthy over the course of a 
career, not just for the initial few years. So I appreciate you know taking the time to talk about some of that sort of stuff and the mentorship side of stuff. Like I think a lot, I'm hoping a lot of people listen to this who are thinking about taking a mentorship and yeah. kind of have their expectations in order. And hopefully, hopefully you know they when they come to speak to you on SkillTree or Mentorship Coalition, they uh, they heeded your advice. Yeah. If not, you can put it on this way. Put it before they come on a mentorship. You can just point until this podcast. Like listen to the last like, twenty <laughs> minutes and then uh- bye. <laughs> yeah no thanks for thanks for having me man it was, a, it was a great great conversation it was yeah a bit different than the usual ones i've had so it's nice nice to focus on that's nice more long-term have. viewer stuff yeah um as usual everyone that's listening you know do the like follow share subscribe it really helps the podcast grow and obviously the more people get to listen to this the more people can get help by some of the fantastic information people are jobia sharing but for everyone listening we'll catch you next week